Branding is extremely important, and I don't know that all agents understand how imperative it is. Branding is really important because it's also very personal. And when you have so many agents out there and they're all hustling and they're all working, what differentiates one from another? So what is your brand? Are you a luxury brand? Are you the people's brand? Are you a selfish brand? Like literally your brand tells the, the public so much about who you are. My brand, and I've always focused on it, is one that's very personal, it's very approachable, and it's very luxury driven. Branding identifies who you are, it helps to set you apart from all the others. Welcome to Diggs Influencer Podcast, the Titans of Real Estate the show that provides direct access to the real estate industry's top movers and shakers as they share invaluable insight on how to best navigate and succeed in any market. I'm your host, Warren Dow, founder and CEO of M3 Media and publisher of Diggs Magazine. If you love finding passion and hard work and understand that success is more about the journey than the outcome, then you'll love this next episode where we sit down with real estate superstar, Cindy Ambule. Hear how Cindy successfully navigated and transitioned from a well-known actress and TV personality to a formal model and ultimately one of the top 40 ranked real estate professionals in the US. And before we jump into this episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast and like us on Facebook and Instagram and visit us at digs.net. Today's guest is truly special. Before becoming a real estate superstar, she was an actress appearing on several well-known TV series, including Seinfeld, a former model who was signed by Judith Fontaine Modeling and Talent Agency, and today is ranked as one of the top 40 real estate agents in the nation, uh, recently moved to Compass. Please welcome to the show, Cindy Ambule. Thank you. So nice to be here. Awesome. So let's start from the very beginning, Cindy. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Orange County. Whereabouts? I grew up in Anaheim. My dad was a cop and my mom was a housewife. We lived there all of my uh, all my school years. So that was my, you already answered my second question. What do your parents <laughs> do for a living? So how long did you, were you guys living in Anaheim? We, my dad was uh, hired by the Anaheim PD when I was three months old and lived there all the way through when I went to college. And then I moved up to LA after that. Very cool. And, and do you have a big family? I have uh, just a sister. One okay, sister is a cool. few years older. So what kind of trouble did you get into when you were when you were young in Anaheim? You know, it's funny. I I was such a tomboy and my sister was always the quiet one and she'd be home playing the piano and reading and I'd be out playing football in the streets with the Palomino brothers. <laughs> so I, I think <laughs> that's, that's awesome. why God gave me all boys now because I love football and sports. But I was I was a handful. That's I was awesome. very stubborn and and I ha had a strong will. Well, that probably carried with you in your career, did. right? I think it did, for sure. So did you have any early, like, looking back, career aspirations when you were young? Did you say, well, I want to grow up, I want to be so-and-so? Well, I knew growing up I wanted to control my own destiny. Like, I always knew that as, as, as much as one can. I knew I wanted to be my own boss, and, um, and so I'm very strong-headed that way, and I knew that I work really hard, I have uh, great work habits, and I knew from all of going through school, and although I carried two jobs when I was in school, so I've never been afraid of hard work, and I always wanted to just be my own boss and, and put that to good use. 
Very cool. What, well, well, we'll get to the, you'll probably get to the two jobs, but I'm going to ask you, you spent 20 years in the entertainment industry. What was that like? Amazing. I actually loved it. And um, it was 22 years. And the great thing about it was I was in the entertainment industry at a really good time when I was in my 20s and 30s, because at that time, there, there were so many sitcoms. You know, now mm -hmm. it was really before cable took over. And so I was really lucky to be able to be a 5'10 blonde who understood the jokes, yeah. <laughs> right? So <laughs> I was able to book several sitcoms and it was just fun. We spent every day on set, you know, coming up with, with funny things to make people laugh. We'd be on our feet in front of a live audience on Friday night. So you get that immediate gratification from your hard work. And it was just wonderful. It was a lot of fun. I, I loved it. And I'm sure you have some really cool stories. We're gonna, I'm gonna ask you about a few of those later. <laughs> so was, when you, before you got into to acting, was, was that a goal of yours? Where you were like, hey, I wanna become an actress at some point or? I always had a bug for it. Like I really thought that's what I would end up doing. But I also knew it was really important for me to go to college. And um, I studied business with a, uh, a major in math. So my degree is business and probability and statistics. Oh, wow. So I really thought, well, that's what I should do. I know I want to be an actress, but I should get into a corporate structure and, and try to turn failing businesses, which was what I was yeah. focused on. And, uh, and I modeled my way through college. My folks didn't have a lot of money to put me through school. So I modeled my way through college and then it just became a, a natural progression you know to then start doing commercials and from there I definitely knew that's what I wanted to do and uh, I went for an interview after graduating for a big company to hire me to do their the, you know their probability and statistics turn their failing company sat down asked the gentleman what I'd be making and I said thank you so much for your time and I walked out because I was making that by traveling the world doing commercials. For sure, yeah. Well, what's more fun? Let's see. Sure. <laughs> so I um, I immediately started doing commercials and, and bought my first house with uh, with my residuals off of Budweiser commercials. Oh, wow. Yeah, true <laughs> story. That's great. So where was that first house? Anaheim. Anaheim. Yeah, Anaheim. on a little street named home. Evelyn. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. Very cool. Brand new, darling house. How Thank long? you, Budweiser. That's awesome. How long <laughs> did you own that house? Uh, about three years. And did you make make a profit? I most certainly did. So did yeah. that... Did that Right there, say, hmm, real estate's interesting, maybe. I had already started buying a little bit of, of I'd started dabbling in investment properties. So when I bought that one, and then I started converting commercials into TV series, I would take my studio bonuses, or I would take these lovely paychecks, and I would buy investment properties. So while my co-stars were buying matching Aston Martins and right. jet skis, uh, I was buying little craftsmen were, homes around Chapman University in Orange. Yeah, You were doing the smart thing. Well done, yeah. Cindy. So I did it more as a hobby. Yeah, yeah. So, so how did you fall into, you were also a fashion designer at one point. How, how did that come about? Towards the end of my acting career, I was on a, a really great show, JAG. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, I remember. And uh, we were a top 10 show for 11 years, and I was very, very proud of it. I was a little bit of their comedy relief on the show. And um, I got pregnant with my twins. And so I shot until I was nine months pregnant. And when I left, because I didn't want to work those hours anymore with, with the twins, uh, HSN approached me and said, would you like to do a fashion line, a celebrity fashion line for HSN? So I created it did it for HSN, and then QVC offered me a larger contract, went to QVC, and then the shopping channel in, in Canada. So I was selling out 
10,000 units a minute. It was fun. It was really fun. I brought the boys on the set with me. It was it was a That's good time. That's so cool. Yeah, I love it. So look at this trilogy. So you were a model, mm -hmm. an actress, mm -hmm. a fashion designer, and then how the heck do we get into real estate? Well, with every other career I had, I would take my money and buy real estate. You know, I now have several craftsman homes down in Orange, like I mentioned, a couple apartment buildings, two income properties up here along with our main home here. So it's something I have truly, truly had a passion for. I think that's really what motivates me and generates me in this business now as a full-time profession is I believe in it. Mm -hmm. You know, I... I love it. So what, what was the impetus like when you say, hmm, I'm going to get my license? Did you get your license before just as more an investor kind of a situation? Or no, you when I left JAG, um, again, it was because of the twins. And I just really wanted to be home with them. And, and those hours on a, on a show like JAG, I had to be on set by 4.45 in the morning. Sometimes I wouldn't get home until 10. Wow. So there's no way I was going to do that with newborns. So I stayed did the clothing line when i left jag and then um that started to require a lot of travel as well wanted to stay home with the twins and when they started preschool is actually when i got my license i thought okay they're in preschool i'll get my mm -hmm. license and i'll just do it at my leisure mm -hmm. and have fun well i don't think i've ever done anything at my leisure <laughs> i don't <laughs> i don't do that you're all in right? i'm yeah. all in go yeah. go big or go home so i got my license when the twins started preschool and just and started. Making. Where did you hang your license? Which broker? Originally, it was Cobble Banker in the Palisades. Okay. With uh, Robbie Sedway. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your first sale. <laughs> My first sale uh, was. Well, it's, it's a kind of a funny story. So when I was studying for my license, my husband booked a trip for us to Mexico. So we're at the Palmilla. So I'm at the Palmilla. I'm in the hammock drinking my strawberry daiquiris. I'm reading, you know, all my printouts and highlights to take my test that following Friday. So I was, you know, vacationing and studying for my exam. So I go in the pool, take a break, go in the pool, cool off. And this girl comes up to me. She goes, I just have to tell you, I really admire you're a, a woman on a vacation and you're over there working. You know, I, I just, what do you do? And I said, oh, real estate. Now, this is the Friday before I got my license. I said, real estate. She goes, oh my gosh, we've been trying to sell our home in Newport for you know a year and a half. Do you think, you know, where do you live? And I said, oh, Santa Monica, but I grew up in Orange County. Well, do you think you'd come and take a look at our house? We have it listed at 15 million on Linda Isle. And I'm just so, so impressed with your dedication to your clients. I said, my clients need me. And so got my license uh, two weeks later, went and met with her. And that was my first listing. Your first listing as a $15 million My very estate. first listing. So I hung my, I went into Cole Banker in the Palisades and I said, I don't know how to fill out a purchase contract. I don't know what a request for repair is, but I think you can teach me. I've got a $15 million listing. So took the listing, sold their home, and then sold them two properties side by side, one for $9 million, one for $5 million in Little Corona down there, in Corona wow. Del Mar. So beginner's luck? I don't know. But it was Wow. No, it, it's, it, it's, was, uh, it was a great start. That's, that's so cool. <laughs> And what would that house be worth today? I mean, like that $15 because we Well, Linda Isle, you know, it's the last to fall and the first to recover in any market. So, gosh, I don't know. I mean, a lot, lot more, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is, that's, that's hilarious. That was so, a good purchase. That is, oh, my gosh. <laughs> True story. You come out of the gate that strong. Did you, did that kind of screw you up on some level? It's saying, God, it's, this is going to be so easy. I just, like, literally got my license. I just 
No, I don't think I ever go into anything with the mindset that this is going to be so easy, ever, personally or professionally. I think I go into everything with the mindset of, I've got this. If I work really hard and I pay attention and I'm smart, I've got this. So I felt like with that, that was, you know, it wasn't easy by any means. I was commuting back and forth to make those deals happen and put it all together. And I had great support by the manager at the time. Um, and so, no, I didn't think at all it was easy, but it, it excited me for sure. And I thought it was fun. And it just made me love it even more. Yeah, it made you just yeah. ignite your passion yeah, even more. Yeah, but like, I wasn't naive to think that it was always going to be like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And do you remember how many deals you did your first year? How many transactions? I don't remember. I do remember my first year being named top 1% in the nation. Um, that first deal probably helped yeah, that. You probably, your office was probably, who the heck is this Cindy girl? Just, she yeah. just drops in and just <laughs> unloads a $15 million listing in her first day on the job. <laughs> it was... Uh, it was fun. What's your biggest sale to date? I think my biggest sale to date was Jeff Franklin's that I did on Collingwood. Uh, Jeff Franklin is the writer, creator, producer of Full House. Okay. Uh, he wrote a series for me in the 90s. So we've remained very good friends ever since. I just love him. And uh, he built a gorgeous, gorgeous spec house. And so I think that might be my biggest sale. That was 22, 22.5. That's cool. Yeah. What was your biggest failure, mistake, or lesson learned thus far? I don't. I would not look at anything as a failure, ever. Again, personally or professionally, I don't like to look at things that way. I truly believe that if something happens, there's a lesson in it. it might be a teaching moment. I don't ever look at it as a failure. Lesson learned. I think it's a mistake to think that any two deals are alike. So you can never go on automatic pilot thinking that I will focus on the outcome. You can never attach yourself to the outcome. You have to honor the process of each deal. The outcome will happen. No two deals are alike. So it's a mistake to think, great, I've got something in escrow. Let's do all the paperwork like we do every other paperwork. Let's just do the inspections. Everything's going to be exactly like the last one. It's never like the last one. Every house has something new. And if you're not on your toes in anticipation of that, it's a huge mistake, huge lesson learned. So I think... I think with each deal, I've learned things. I went, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. And I think that I'm usually 10 steps ahead because I'm a little bit of a control freak that way. So I mm-hmm. do handhold clients through the deals, but there's always something that yeah. makes you later say, oh, I wish I would have caught that or known that. Or someone maybe wasn't honest with you and you wish you would have picked up on that because yeah. now there are consequences to pay for their bad behavior and you're mm-hmm. having to do damage control. There's all sorts of scenarios. What makes this business, you know, Fun and crazy at the same time, right? There's so many exactly. moving parts, so many variables. That you have no control over. Yeah. You can only do your best to help manage. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Just to give the audience some context into some of your accomplishments, and you'd only been doing this for 12 years, Cindy. Yes. And your first sale was $15 million. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You've accomplished some amazing things. I just want to, just for our audience, um, rattle off a few of these. So you're, you're, you're ranked number 20 in California, number 40 in the nation as measured by sales volume. In just 12 years, you have over 750 million in sales volume. Congrats. Thank you. Um, You've been recognized by all the major media outlets as a top producing agent in LA and in the nation. You're a longtime LA resident. You have a deep understanding of the luxury market, your connections, your sphere, and you know, the clientele on the west side, and and you're familiar with OC as well, which is very unique to have Mm -hmm. that crossover. Mm -hmm. It is. And you're also involved in several charitable organizations, including Give Back Homes, ALS, 
and PS Arts. So I want to just congratulate you on all your hard-earned success. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we've only just begun, right? <laughs> we've only just begun. So let's talk about the hyper-competitive world of L.A. real estate. I think L.A., you know, and, and as a publisher of Digs, we have, obviously, we operate in South Bay and West Side, mm -hmm. and it is some of the most competitive, you know, and, and it's interesting. A lot of it's more frenemies, right? Have you heard that term? Oh, yeah. Where, you know, everyone's friendly, but, like, uh -huh. the moment the deal's on or it's like, you, you know, the daggers are well-cloaked, well-hidden, but it's, right? It's so... Yeah, suddenly they're going for the jugular. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about, you were previously with the agency for mm -hmm. about four years, yes. and you've recently moved to Compass. Um, how's the move? Why the move? Uh, the move's been great. You know, it was a really, really big decision for me to make. Um, I love the agency. love Mauricio. Um, I left on very good terms. It was a really tough decision for me, um, a very emotional decision for me. And uh, But I wanted to go in a different direction. I definitely wanted to grow a, a team, which I had never done. I've always done it myself with an assistant. And I just really felt the desire to grow a team. And Compass was offering me so so much support in that. That was huge to me. And, um, and I also really felt that the, the tech information, the tech support at Compass is second to none. And coming here now, it, it is. It is. So everything they've told me they were going to do, uh, that and more. So it's been a, it's been a very positive mood, move, a, a very difficult decision. And now after the fact, a very positive move. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's a big move. Someone of your caliber moving always creates like, oh, what's what's that about? You know? I know, I for know. For sure, for sure. So I'm curious, personally, like the brokerage, and there's been a lot of disruption in the space, is the broker, let's go to the like the home seller, like your okay. list, okay? How important to them is the broker versus the agent? Because really they're, 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 they're hiring you mm -hmm. and your expertise and what That's you right. bring to the table, right? But how important is it getting... How important is it, A, would be the A question, and B would be, does it really make a difference like in, in terms of how they view getting the deal well, that was a that was that's a great question, and it's one that I had when I was considering leaving the agency. I thought, well, let me go speak to my clients first. So they were my first calls. I, I, I sat down with every client I had, every listing, buyer, and I said, how do you feel about this? Because we're in this together. And when I have these listings and I'll be leaving the agency going to Compass, how do they feel about that? And I had every single person, 100% across the board, say, Cindy, we're with you because of you. We don't care where you go as long as it's with you. So as long as we stay with you and we know that you're the one on the other end of the phone, uh, you're the one here, we don't care who you're with. If you think it's a, a good decision, if you think you're going to get the support that's going to continue to help support us, then we trust you. So whatever decision you make, we're fine with as long as we're with you. And that was that was my biggest concern. You know, when I was speaking with Compass, I told them, I said, I don't know how my clients are going to feel about it. So I I'm a very, very transparent person. I I don't beat around the bush. I don't assume this or that. I, I go straight and have conversations. And in doing that with my clients, um, it made me realize that that buyers and sellers care more about their relationship with their agent than they do with the brokerage. Now, if the brokerage had a bad reputation, if the brokerage had cheated them in some way in the past in their mind that that had happened, they would probably frown on it. But if you're just going, you know, across the board, it's about the agent. 
and the agent's relationship with the client. Well, that's great. And I think that's one of your differentiators right there. That mm-hmm. Because I love the fact that you mentioned them first versus you. Let me ask always. them. It's about them. Right? Always. It always is. And that's is. what the most successful agents and people in, in business and life, you know, what it's about. Always. You got to make it about your customer and make it that's and then reverse engineer from there. So yes, well done. That's Thank that's you. definitely a differentiator. So with the, with the move to Compass, what do you think of all this this um, consolidation that's going on in, in in real estate? You mean as far as all the the, the merges and the yeah, the bro- like Compass has been the biggest sort of acquirer in the last two three years, mm-hmm. right? With mm-hmm. starting with completely. I mean partners, especially in LA. I mean they right. gobbled up a lot of right. So what do you think about all this this stuff? I think growth is fantastic when it's um, efficient. And I have strong feelings about that because we've seen companies grow without the infrastructure to support the growth. We've seen companies just bring on anybody in order to build. Um, Those aren't good situations. And what I've witnessed with Compass as they've continued to get bigger and bigger, um, they've also not lacked at all in their efficiency. You know, there's still, as we just acquired another, you know, several big hitters, you know, big, big agents and another company, I can still pick up the phone and within 20 minutes I have a return phone call from marketing, from advertising, from TC, I get that response. So if it was growing and it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and we didn't have the infrastructure and it wasn't efficient, then I would say this is a, this is a feel big that, mistake. But it sounds like they're not feeling it at all. <clears throat> they're handling the growth beautifully. And, yeah, yeah, beautifully. So, so let's get back to the agent and the hyper competitive. Would you have any sto- like war stories to share? Like because it, you have a lot of the you know the guys so on, on so, TV. So like, many. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, is it many. is it friendly or do you guys just put up with each other or is it really like don't get out of my way, don't don't bother me. No, I don't think it's get out of my way, don't bother me. I mean, this morning I was texting an agent at 7.45 because, uh, and I said, call me after 8 whenever it's good for you. And she picked up the phone right away and called me. She goes, hi, honey. You know, it's that kind of relationship um, that those are the ones, let, let me just put it this way. In our business, we have agents who are agents' agents. Do you know what I mean by yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So I don't just support my clients. I support other agents. Um, I've been a mentor to countless agents. I've supported agents and helped them. And and several have helped me. So we do have a group of agents who are, are really great. And we're great. And we do compete, but we do it respectfully. And, um, and then there are agents who truly believe to win at all costs. And unfortunately, we all know who those agents are. And they may think they're getting away with it, but word is out, and then people choose not to work with them. It makes them harder for them to get deals done, right? One hundred percent. Yeah. So you know, we know the good agents. We know the ones that we can count on, the ones that we can trust. And you know, in this business, it's got to be done with more respect. It really does. It, it needs to maybe slow the roll and stop and reflect because we have agents doing things they should not be doing. And then everyone gets caught up in the in the turmoil of it because you're in a deal with them. Yeah. And it's just a shame and it's unnecessary. But we do have it. I believe that's probably in, in every industry. But in this industry, the stakes are very high. You don't get paid unless you close the deal. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people just believe, do whatever you have to do to get the deal closed, apologize later. Um, but you can't sustain that in you, this business do you think like these tv shows these reality tv shows like a million dollar listing 
you think it's been bad for the market and the perception of the market and the perception of actually agents like yourself? No, I don't think it's bad for the market. I think it's entertaining. I think it's entertaining. Yes, okay. <laughs> I'll right. say no more. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> it's not real. I mean, it's just not yeah, real. Yeah. And so then when you have clients saying, oh, well, I was watching such and such show and they did this <clears throat> and they had swimming well, ballerinas. I want those. Well, I mean, it's yeah, television and, well, and God bless them, but it's television. Well, here's what's interesting because I, I love I love this, this industry and I'm, I'm a student of the game. By the way, I'm a business economics major, so I'm I'm a nerd like you when it comes to numbers. Super and, nerd, love you. Um, so I always interested. I like to get in the seller's head whenever I meet a seller. If we're at a cover shoot or just whatever, I always go like, "Why did you choose your agent?" I try to get in their heads yes. and what what tell me your motivation and how you and and at, at one point, one of those the guys on the TV got one a, a really big listing in the South Bay, and literally the the value proposition to the seller was well they're they're there on TV. They're they're they, and it's like, really? <laughs> that was the criteria, you know, to hire. So, it's interesting. I, and I don't, you know, it's well, interesting. Well, perception how, is reality. Yeah, it's lot, interesting so. how that world works. Yeah. All right. It seems like, especially in LA, West LA, many of these super high end listings, fifty million plus, and there's a bunch. It seems like the trend is. I've noticed this. Maybe I'm wrong. I want to ask your opinion. That there's more co-listing going on. It's, it used to be one, you know, agent. Now it's multiple brokerages and multiple high-end agents. Mm -hmm. Sometimes four. Sometimes I've seen six agents on the on a. And six is crazy. Yeah, that's just crazy. So what what are your thoughts? Is it is the perception from the seller that oh I'm going to get all this more marketing or coverage or networking? Yeah, or I what, think they do see it that way. I think that when a seller is interviewing you know, multiple agents at that level, right? And they might find two that they really like. And why not hire both of them and get two for the price of one? Because those agents are having to now share their commission. So the, the seller's not paying double, the seller's paying the exact same commission and the listing agents are agreeing to split their commission in half. So why not? If you're a seller and you're at that high level and you wanna make sure that you're getting you know, different marketing and, and coverage from two different brokers and you like both of the, of the agents from the different brokerages, why not? And if the agents get along and work harmoniously together, that can only help you, yeah, right? It's a great, strength in numbers. It's a great point. And you think about it, if it's a Colwell and, you know, Compass and Douglas Elliman and the agency, yeah. you got you get to enter all those ecosystems yes. and get all the marketing. I'm, so, I'm yeah. co-listing um, co two properties right now with two agency agents. Uh, one up in San Francisco the, on Broderick. It's mm -hmm. the Full House House, actually. Oh, cool. the, and uh, and then one here in Santa Monica Canyon. And even then, it's just great because I'm doing completely different marketing and digital marketing and so forth than my co-listing agents are at the agency. And they, they work really well together. That's awesome. And so, the seller gets the benefit off of it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And listen, for me, uh, I'm... I'm not a greedy agent. I'm about my client and what works for them. And I don't want anything to fall through the cracks. So if I feel like I'm getting really busy and I'm listing heavy, I don't ever want a client to feel like a showing couldn't happen that day because I was in 15 other places. Right. So that's when it's wonderful to have a super capable co-listing agent to call and say, hey, can you cover the showing today? The client always comes first so you worry about your commission later the client always comes first and if it means splitting your commission but 
nothing falls through the cracks, that's what you do. All right, I want to put you on the spot a bit, Cindy. Why would a luxury home consumer, say you have a $15, $18 million listing appointment in the Palisades, and four of your other top competitors are there along with you, and they're doing a listing you know, presentation, mm-hmm. why should they hire you over those one of those other four? I can guarantee that nobody is going to personally handhold and care for that client the way that I will. And I have proven it over and over and over again. I don't take a listing and then pawn it off. I speak to the clients directly every day. I show up for the showings. I listen to them. I sit down and say, why are you selling? What's your motivation behind selling? We do it together. And there is a real sense of comfort with my clients knowing that. Um, They, again, call me at 11 o'clock at night. They call me at 7 in the morning if they need to talk. And it doesn't matter how wealthy they are. It doesn't matter how financially secure they are. They still get nervous during these transactions. They need somebody who listens to them, who uh, puts their needs first. And as I'd mentioned earlier, I never attach myself to the outcome. I honor the process, which, and my process then is caring for my client, taking care of the client, making sure I'm seeing problems before they happen. I'm anticipating things before, always walking them through, talking them through, talking them off a ledge. I do that personally every day, every minute of every day. And then the outcome happens. And um, I think that would be the main reason I would say my clients trust me. I love it. And you said it with conviction. And for the audience's context, Cindy was staring at me intensely during that. <laughs> so she's all in and she's committed. That was awesome. That was just your on button right there. That was like, okay, Cindy's, you know. Matters I love to it. me. I love it. Did you hear about the Realogy deal with Amazon offering the 5000 bucks? What do you think of that? I really haven't given it much thought, to be honest with you. My clients haven't asked me about it. People, I haven't heard a lot about it on the street people aren't you know giving it a ton of of attention and concern i mean you know i don't think it's ever great to incentivize you know financially that way um but i don't know enough about it and really to be honest with you, my clients have not even brought it up yeah what's funny when we're in the business right mm-hmm. we think our you know the, the sellers and buyers and they're following along the industry like we are and they're not like they're, no one knows anything what's really going on in terms of these well, but buyers and sellers know a heck of a lot more than they did than they did when I got started. Sure, yeah. you know, for for that exact reason, when I got started, they would call and say, "Cindy, what's on the market that you can show us this weekend?" Now, hi, Cindy. I've studied Zillow. I've studied Redfin. I've studied yeah. the MLS. No, they know. I know every single mm. thing about this property, its history, what they paid for, what they owe on it. I mean, our buyers and sellers are so much more sophisticated now than they ever were. Um, but as far as my clients. They, they're not paying attention to the $5,000 credit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. All right, Cindy, enough about real estate for a minute. Let's have some fun, shall we? <laughs> yeah. You're married to actor Don Diamant. Yes, I am. Who was a very successful model before appearing on several popular soap operas, including Days of Our Lives 
and the young and the restless and a bunch more. When did you guys when did you guys meet? Well, he did more than appear on them. He was on Young and the Restless for 25 years. He was a star. He was the, the guy. star of the yeah. show. Yes. And then now, uh, Bold and the Beautiful <laughs> for the past 10 and a half. So he, I'm very proud of him because that's talk about, you know, job security. And longevity. And, yeah, and, and exactly. A very difficult and sustainability. That's yeah. not easy. That's not easy, not easy yeah, at not all. Easy. He loves what he does. So I uh, met him when I think it was. I don't even remember what show I was doing at the time, and I took a break and raced over, and I screen tested for Young and the Restless to play his wife. There was a, an acting class I'd taken, and the casting, uh, the casting director at the time, she said, if Eileen Davidson ever leaves Young and the Restless, I'm calling you. You look so much like her that you would be perfect to play her role on Young and the Restless. I mean, two weeks later, so she must have known something was going on. Eileen left, and uh, and sure enough, they called me. Jill Newton called me and said, "Come in, we want you to read." So I came in, and that's how I met Donald. He, I had no idea he was the star of the show. I'd never watched it, and I suddenly am walking on on set and having to screen test with him. Oh, that's hilarious! It was great. So we had the chemistry right away, and yeah, that's good. cool. With your husband's career mm -hmm. and your entertainment background, does it make it do you think more like difficult? With being a distraction kind of thing, being in that spotlight with the, like with with who you're sort of hobnobbing with, and or does it is it make it sort of easier, like in the industry? What, what you, I'm sorry, what do you mean by a distraction? Like if you're always having to show up and be in the entertainment sort of mindset or in that in that world, can it distract from real estate or is it actual helpful? I'm like, oh, I see what you're saying. So. Uh, well, we no, it's not a distraction in any way. Let's just say that. It's not a the fact that my husband is uh, in the entertainment world and and I have my connections there in no way is a distraction. You know, we're very normal in the sense we are family oriented. We are home every night with our kids. We are up every morning packing lunches, making breakfast. We're like, I'm like a short order chef in the morning with all these kids <laughs> lining up. And everyone likes it just a certain way. And we pack them fresh lunches every morning and send them off to school. So our priority is our family. We're not out, you know, seven nights a week, five nights a week, even four nights a week, um, hobnobbing and entertaining. It's just not okay, our that's, deal. That was my, that's what I was getting at. Not, yeah, yeah. not at all. Yeah. It's not our deal. Um, we are very much about our family. That's our priority. That's, that's cool. where our time is spent completely. Um, but we do, you know, we, we enjoy getting dressed up and going out when we want to. Yeah. Um, but we never feel obligated That's cool. to do it. We'd rather be home with our kids. So when you live in Santa Monica, your family, why Santa Monica versus Palisades, Malibu? Like well, I love Palisades and Malibu. I mean, they're both phenomenal. We just happen to love Santa Monica Canyon. Okay. Santa Monica Canyon is this super special little place and we have Santa Monica Canyon and Rustic Canyon and the neighbors and the friends around us they're they're lifers you know my kids went to Canyon Elementary School right there and even though they've now gone to Brentwood and they've all gone off to different schools they're still friends with those they met at Canyon Elementary School in, in the neighborhood so it's it's something that's just very special people who move there feel it and um, it's been a wonderful beach lifestyle for our kids so for the audience that doesn't know where that is relative to the Third Street Promenade or something where is that exactly well we're <clears throat> one mile away from Third Street Promenade and and uh, half a mile from the sand so we are right there Santa Monica Canyons this great little little hideaway that's just up off of West Channel you've got the stairs of 
famous Santa Monica stairs right there. So we're Palisades adjacent. We're Brentwood adjacent. We're Venice we're adjacent. In that corridor, we're right there in this wonderful little pocket. And again, we're all, we have all boys. Our world is outdoors. You know, we are we're outdoors in sports, and we're outdoors every weekend. So being at the beach, I mean, who doesn't love that? Yeah. So tell us a funny, can't believe it happened real estate story. I'm sure you got a few. <laughs> the very first one I talked about earlier in, in Newport Beach. So I had my very first caravan for that $15 million property. And I had it catered. My mom was there. And we were hosting this huge uh, agent caravan. And I have about 75 agents sipping mimosas out on the boat dock because it's a gorgeous boat slip. And and, uh, and it was just this amazing afternoon. And all of a sudden an agent comes running up, Cindy, you have a problem upstairs. I said, what do I have, what, what, what problem? Somebody, your, your bathtub's overflowing. I said, my, my what? And so my mom and I go running upstairs, the, somebody, an agent, had, had clogged the, the bathtub, they'd closed the bathtub, and then turned on the waterfall, the waterfalls into the bathtub. The bathtub had overflowed, it was all over the entire bathroom floor, just rolling on out to the deck off the master bath. And it was within maybe five, six inches from becoming a waterfall over the deck onto the heads of all of the mimosa sipping agents down below. So I cannot, my mom's grabbing towels, we're grabbing towels, we're trying to block the water from going down. I said, mom, cover me. And she watches the door to make sure no one comes up. I have to pull my skirt up all the way to my waist, put my leg into the tub, and with my toe, pull up the, the cork that was in the oh in the tub because it was too <clears throat> deep for me to reach into. And like, you know, never a dull moment in real estate. So and I later, I couldn't even believe somebody would do this. Yeah. We got it all cleaned up. The day was a success. And like two days later, an assistant called me from Orange County. And she said, I just have to apologize. My my boss is the one who did that. She was upset she didn't get the listing. And she you're an out of the area agent and she was super offended by it. And she did that to sabotage your open. Oh my god. Can you imagine? Oh my and that was my very first <clears throat> listing, my very first caravan and my very first experience with how low some people will go. And you're like, wow, this business is cut. And I thought, and I thought 22 years as an actress was tough. Right. That's a walk in the park compared <laughs> to what's going on now. Yeah, you're like, geez, okay, it's <laughs> and on. And then I rolled my sleeves up and said, okay, it's on. Yeah, that's, that is no hilarious. Way. Not gonna happen. Any other, any other cool stories like that? Oh, I mean, I have so many. I, I you know, we were watching Bridesmaids and there's an episode with, um, oh gosh, what's that wonderful comedian's name where she's climbing the gate. Now she's climbing the gate, the gate opens, by the nanny in the morning. I had that exact same thing happen to me. The the agent gave me the, the wrong keys and the wrong clicker <laughs> when I took over the listing. So I was trying to climb over to get to the other side, to get it open, the alarm's going off. I'm trying to get in the house to turn off the alarm. She just sabotaged this whole thing. Literally, as I'm up on top of this gate, this huge gate, the uh, the housekeeper pulls up and she clicks the clicker and I'm on the gate as it's now <laughs> <laughs> slowly opening into the property. It was like a, a bull ride. I mean, it was oh just so gosh. ridiculous. I mean, I could just go on. It's that is hilarious. Constant. That's great. See, see what the real estate's not all numbers and uh, there's a lot of shenanigans going on, a lot of fun. So let's talk about the real estate market okay. real quick. It seems like, you know, you talk to 10 people, you get 10 different perspectives, but mm -hmm. We're at the end 
or, or near the end of a real estate cycle, you mm-hmm. know, every 10, 8, 10 years, right? What are your thoughts on where this market is, where it's going? So I think, <clears throat> um, I think maybe having had so many years as an actress, you're only as good as your next job, right? And I'm used to the roller coaster. You know, you, the, you have to be patient until the next job. You have to be patient until the next deal. It's the same thing here. So the highs and lows don't scare me. That's all I know. Um, and so I don't think there's anything to be afraid of. We are not crashing. Nobody sees a crash. Um, there's nothing wrong with a healthy correction. I think a healthy correction has kept all of us in business. You cannot keep going up, 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 mm-hmm. up, up. And if you go up too steep, then you're going to fall even steeper, correct? So gradual inclines and then gradual declines it's healthy and it's necessary and so there's nothing in my opinion that we should be worrying about these are healthy corrections that need to take place interest rates are low interest rates are great right now yeah it's actually opened up the door for a lot of buyers to be able to step up where they didn't think they could well said do you think do you think we've gotten ahead of ourselves in, in terms of like the crazy development that's gone on the west side where you have like 200 300 million dollar spec homes and is it is that too much is that like are we pushing envelopes that just I think that LA lives in such a bubble you know we're in such a bubble compared to the rest of the country and I think Beverly Hills especially and now that has you know overflowed onto the west side and we are seeing it and I I don't think I don't think it's a smart move I just don't. I think we need to build homes people want to buy. I think we need to build homes for the community. And um, neighbors sell neighborhoods, and I feel strongly about that. So I don't think neighbors also want a big 20, 30, you know, thousand square foot house you know, monster going up next to them. They want a community. So I, I think that we need to pay attention to that um, a little bit more carefully. And I think that being that we have been in a bubble and a lot of people have made a lot of money well then they get a little bit well if i made this much money how much more can yeah. i make and they they can get a little overly ambitious and i think that starts to get dangerous you know for yeah. the builders and i think that we witnessed that a few years ago and now builders are doing great again and now we're witnessing them um, sitting yeah. a little inventory heavy but they always get caught it's funny because they, they they double down triple down listen stay on course and man if it's working for you stay on course to to steer too far away from from what you know and what's worked for you and the formula that's worked for you. And now suddenly I'm going to steer away from that. I'm going to go, you know, bigger. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. again, that may sit. And we're finding the homes are sitting. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, buyers aren't stupid. Buyers are not going to overpay. And what about the international uh, money that's been coming over? Is that slowed down? Have you, have you seen that? Yeah, that has slowed down. Yeah. That has slowed down. And we have phenomenal domestic buyers. You know, we have great buyers from Texas. We've got, you know, coming into L.A. We've got great San Francisco buyers, you know, coming down. And we have um, New York. We do have a lot from London, you know, internationally, a lot. Still, in in that market, they think we're giving prices, you know, away. They think we're giving homes away and our prices are really wow. low. So it's 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 all comparable, right? Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Sydney, let's talk about my favorite subject for a minute, marketing. <laughs> I like marketing. All right. As a very successful entrepreneur yourself, you understand branding. And to me, branding is hugely important in the real estate industry. Tell me about how you've developed your personal brand. 
Well, I think you're right. I think branding is extremely important, and I don't know that all agents understand how imperative it is. Um, branding is really important because it's also very personal. And when you have so many agents out there and they're all hustling and they're all working, what differentiates one from another, right? So it's branding. So what is your brand? Are you a luxury brand? Are you the people's brand? Are you a selfish brand? Like literally your brand tells the, the public so much about who you are. My brand, and I've always focused on it, is one that's very personal. It's very approachable. I want my clients to trust me always. So my branding is an open book to who I am mm -hmm. as a person. And it's very luxury driven. So branding identifies who you are. It helps to set you apart from all the others. Well said. And I think what you hit on before is, and I think this is one of the reasons why your brand and you are so successful, is because you are so authentic. You are as you are. And you're, and you're nothing else. You're not trying to be this or that. I think, um, I think that's a compliment. <laughs> no, I, no, it's an absolute compliment. Because Thank you. It's, I think, and we deal with a lot of agents, obviously, in, in, in our business. And I find a lot of agents, you know, they want branding. They don't really understand it. And they're, the first mistake they make is, is they're not authentic with it. They're trying to be someone. They're trying to position themselves as somebody else. Mm-hmm which never goes the right way. You it know? never goes the right way, whether it's business or personal. So when you try to portray yourself as something uh, that you want people to believe or someone that you want them to see you as, uh, that's completely different than actually being your authentic self, putting it out there for people yeah. to gravitate towards. And uh, you can't control the narrative of who you are. You have to let people figure that out and I'm I, I am who I am you know, good or bad right or I, I am who I am I try really hard to always let clients in and, and and know who I am personally professionally what my my personal you know boundaries are and just where my work ethics are so I think it's just extremely important that you let people actually just get to know you and make their own decisions as opposed to always trying to control the narrative through branding. This is who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm such a, a good guy because I do. No, just put out who you are, what you believe in, and people will come to you. Yeah. So let me throw you a little bit of a curveball, Cindy. So if today was your very first day in real estate, you have no brand. Today's your first day. You just got your business card. What would your marketing plan look like? Like the, the initial phase of your marketing plan in, in terms of building a brand? Introducing who I am, 100% who I am, uh, what I represent, what I want to do in this business and how, based on my authenticity, my work ethic, my uh, genuine belief in who I am and how I can help my, my customer and my clients. Tell me if you think this is crazy. I come across highly successful agents all the time who have just you know, secured and sold a huge, significant listing, $10 million, say, dollar listing. Mm -hmm. And let's say, it, by, by fortune, it's sold in 10 days. And we'll have a, a chat, and I'll be like, hey, what are you doing with the marketing? You know, Oh, they'll say, thankfully, I've sold that $10 million listing. It's sold in 10 days. So thankfully, I don't need to do any marketing. <laughs> what are your, like... This drives me bananas because it's like, that's your best opportunity to put your brand with a $10 million listing and mm -hmm. to tell the market 
how you performed with a $10 million listing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a million stories you can iterate and tell from that, but they choose not, they think it is a, it's a cost and there's no association with brand. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's that's right, what you're saying. I think that's they're focusing more on, oh, because I sold it quickly, I didn't have to invest any money into the listing, into the marketing. I see it as a hugely uh, missed opportunity because listings generate more listings, right? And so when you conduct yourself appropriately in a listing and you're successful in a listing and you have a 10 plus million dollar home, like you said, that sells in 10 days, well, don't you want to skywrite that? Don't you want to talk about that and let the market know, look what I just did for this client. I just presented it to the market in such a way that we blew out in 10 days, which also tells the market that you know how to present, meaning not just your marketing, your advertising, your caravan, but also you must have put some strategy behind the pricing because if it's overpriced, it's the kiss of death and it sits, right? So by promoting that you just sold a $10 million home in 10 days, promoting it, you're letting the market know that you know what it takes to move the property. And you must have had some great, great strategy behind uh, that listing. Use that as an opportunity. Absolutely. And it's funny because most agents, I don't want to say most, but a lot of agents disassociate their listing inventory as a separate sort of line item expense. Well, I'll tell you, sometimes I... I have to stop, like maybe six months into the year, I have to stop and I have to go back and look and say, I've spent how much in marketing? And I don't even realize how much I'm spending. I just know what I need to do. So I'm out there doing what I need to do for each home. I don't put a budget on it. I don't put a cap on it. I don't allocate, oh, these funds to this property, these funds to that property. I just do what I need to do to really set the tone for the property, to list it and present it to the market in a manner in which you know it deserves. So I catch myself quite often halfway through the year going, uh, uh-oh, mm-hmm. wait, what am sure. I spending? Um, because my accountant will bring it to my attention. Sure, so sure. I think if you are focused on that, you're focused on the, um, the end result, you're attaching yourself to the outcome as opposed to the process, which I know we spoke about earlier. That's great. And, and, and I, look, I look at it this way. You have a fiduciary responsibility as a licensed agent mm-hmm. to represent a seller, you know, the home listing in, in your best capacity, that's right? right? And that's to market it and, and do all the things you've got to do, right? You also have a fiduciary, fiduciary responsibility to grow your business and to be viable and to be sustainable, right? Yeah. And this is where when you invest... It's investing in your brand. It's an investment. And, well, and who better to invest in than yourself? Who better, if you don't believe in you, and if you don't believe in you as a capable agent out there, then how can your client? How can your client believe in you if you don't? And investing in yourself, investing in you and your business and who you are, you it starts with you. Yeah. And therefore, you you know that if you do this, you're going to be better equipped to help your client. That allows your client also to see have confidence in you and to see that they can trust you with their business. Yeah. You if know, you're chipping out on yourself, you're <clears throat> going to chip out on them, right? Absolutely. And it's a win-win. You, if you're investing in your brand, you're investing in your client, it's a win-win, right? Yep. A lot of agents that I come across, in a weird way, they view their business as like a mattress store. And they think of marketing as like, hey, it's the one-time sale. I, I, I'll, I'll buy or I'll spend money to, to sell 
this mattress, this home, you mm-hmm. know, and then I'll be done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's on to the next mattress. It's not like that. The homes have a long sell cycle. Right. And you constantly have to be investing in your brand and, and you use the inventory. You guys are all in the content marketing business. And what's the content? It's the homes you sell. If you have no homes to sell, then tell a story on how you can still sell homes or, well, you know. Well, I think it's interesting when you say that the content is the home. It's kind of like in marketing, you talk about the product, like you just talked about the mar- the mattress, right? And marketing the mattress as the product. I'm also the product. Of course. So it's not just the client and the client's home. I am the product. So I also have to market and brand myself in order to market and brand my client's property. Absolutely. But it's isn't it easier and better to associate yourself with the mattress, 100%. or you know what I mean? Together, <laughs> we're using mattress. Um, so we don't want to resell the mattress, because that's kind of gross. Right, that would be gross, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it's yes, interesting. Yes, it is, yeah. I agree with you. And, and this is why I love marketing, because, and this is why I'm passionate about what we do at Diggs, because mm-hmm. you guys have a tough gig. There's um, 1.3 million real estate, licensed real estate agents in the country. You guys are all trying to do the same thing, represent buyers and sellers. You all theoretically can do the same things, right? In mm-hmm. terms of fill the paperwork and get this done. But 20 or less than 20% of you do most of the business because you do it better. Mm. You do it, you understand it, you understand marketing and branding and, and on and on and on. We, we don't do the same thing. So... So I hear what you're saying that there are a million point, however many of us, we can all do the same thing. We can fill out the paperwork. We we all don't do the same thing. And that's what sets... That's the point I was making, yep. by the way. And that's what sets the few apart. Yeah. We don't do the same thing. There are no two deals that are alike. They're all different. And even with my experience, and you can ask other high-end agents, they'll tell you the same thing. No two deals are alike. So every one requires... A different level of experience and know-how and finessing with personalities and how to keep peace with people and to look 10 steps ahead to what might be happening in that deal to hopefully you know <laughs> derail uh, you know a, a big issue down the road and make sure that doesn't happen so um, not everyone's equipped for that and they're instead like we talked about just filling out the paperwork and looking for the commission check that doesn't get it done mm-hmm. do you do you recommend to a new agent, do you recommend them focusing on being a listing agent or a buyer's agent or just how do you, how would you advise like a newer agent? Well, when I first got started, uh, what was advised to me by everybody I respected and as I started to meet agents and really know who the big players were, and I asked questions. I was never ashamed to ask questions. I asked that exact question, and 100% of them said listings. They said listings create more listings. Buyers are, are wonderful. I like buy, I like working with buyers a lot. I have fun helping them search for their home. But, you know, when you have a listing, they already have the home. They've invested in that home, their hearts in that home, and you get a chance to work with them on on moving that property, which is a, a big emotional thing for them as well, not just financial, and moving them from that home to another place. And also, listings bring more listings, because when you have open houses, or you have caravans, or you have the marketing and advertising and digs and elsewhere, people are seeing it, uh, they get to know your name, and then they come in and meet you. And you get the chance to show them what you're all about. So 100%, I would agree with the mentors who advised me, uh, listings. And it's no uh, coincidence that listing agents 
if we call them that, quote unquote, listing agents or those who predominantly sell more listings and you know represent buyers, mm-hmm. make way more money. It's, it's is that just, is that true? Is that a stat? Absolutely. Yeah. I've never looked that up. Yeah. If you look at if you look at in just people like yourself, and uh-huh. you say, "What's your?" Because I always ask. I'm like the mad scientist when I meet somebody like you. I'll say, "What? What's your? Let's talk about your business. What's your? What's your listing to to you know seller to buyer ratio?" Mm-hmm. And you know where are those where's the geography around that you know and and the pie chart is always for people like you it's it's always seventy thirty or sixty you know forty in terms of listings and I'll bet those buyers were generated from listings yeah and then a lot of the buyer exactly I would exactly. guess ninety percent yeah for most agents those buyers were generated. From listings. So what you said, listing gets listings mm-hmm. get more listings. They also get more buyers. They do. You know, and they if you do. do a really good job marketing, it's, it's a it, it's a win win. Yeah. And then down the road, after you've done it long enough, then it becomes you know so much more about referrals. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Speaking of referrals, what's interesting? Another marketing thing. Referrals are are sixty seventy percent of the business. Once you grow your sphere and your referral, right? But you can't let your referrals sleep, and you can't be invisible to them. You have to constantly be constantly. In, in their sphere. And this is where a lot of agents get it wrong. Again, where they're saying, oh, it's just referrals. I don't need to do any marketing because I, it's all referrals. Well, those referrals are getting hit on by, by a hundred million other agents. And, if, and don't rest on your laurels because I'm telling you, um, you might think, I had the best relationship with this client. I did so much for them. They were so grateful for all the hard work. We've had dinner several times after. Whenever they go to transact again, for sure they'll call me. No, there is nothing for sure because they have, like you just said, how many other agents approaching them at school when they're dropping kids off or at church or at temple or door knocking or at the park, wherever. Uh, they have everybody else asking for their business. So. Don't ever assume that just because you did a great job for them once, they're going to continue to only work with you. They have influences from other agents approaching them constantly. So always stay in touch. And I've heard so many stories from clients who say, I can't believe I just lost this listing. You know, oh, tell me more. It's a person I've sold them two homes. I did this. I were there. And they chose like, well, you you act like, you know, and it's the same story. Well, I thought they were my client for life. You know, it's like, no, it's, it's. Yeah. And I have to tell you, it's happened to all of us. It's happened to me. It's happened to, um, you know, I I literally just had a conversation. I won't say with whom, but huge agent. Um, Everyone knows who she is. She's fabulous. And I have great respect for her. And she was extremely upset that the client went elsewhere and she's still scratching her head and we don't know if they discount a commission that's her assumption we don't know if it just happened to be uh they she's created a relationship with this person recently and then it was timing you don't know but it happens to everybody so you can't just assume that they're always going to come back to you you can't ever assume that yeah the only thing you can assume safely is you need to stay visible i have another story that's, yes. that's a little bit tangential but we have a client who, who's who been with us for years and years and years, right? And he basically, this is going back a year, but he, he changed the name of his brokerage. He, he was going to start a new brand and blah, blah, blah. So he goes, hey, I want to take a few, uh, like a month off marketing my, my old real estate brand while we get our assets together for our new, new branding and logo and blah, blah, blah. And so he was out for a month, you know, in, on our 
he was not visible on our platform for a month. And he called me and he said, I'll never believe what happened, Warren. I got a call. I have a, I have a lifelong client who I've sold. He's my, I've sold him more real estate and investment properties and represented him six times, let's say, in the last whatever, 10 years. And he called me and said, hey, are you, I, are, you at, are, you, are you retired? Are you going out of business or did you close up? And, and the, my client said, well, no, what, that's crazy. What, why, why did you say that? And he goes, because I haven't seen you marketing. You, right. He got so used to seeing him all the time that just two months not it, seeing and, him. And it was a powerful story to be it's like, hey, they're watching. They're paying attention. That fast. That fast. That fast they and, think you've gone away. And so th- imagine if he was approached and he didn't connect. You know, it's like a a lifetime client could be making other decisions. So you got to stay visible and you got to you got to stay frequent and you got to keep on it. Always. Here's a question on a listing, marketing listing. So what's your approach if you had a 40 million dollar listing? Let's say you just have you have two listings you just got yesterday. One's a 40 million dollar home and one's a three million dollar home. Is your approach the same to bring those to market? Is it different? Tell, Tell us how. Well, I think to your point earlier about branding, um, I would say 90% of it is identical because it still comes from me and it comes from the Cindy Ambiel brand and name and reputation. So therefore, I hold myself to a different standard. So the same thing for the $40 million listing as the $3 million listing, I would be doing the digs ads. I would be doing um, all of my photography, videography, promotions, eight-sided color brochures. I would be spending the money and promoting it because it's expected. And people do hire me to take their property and expose it to the market in an elevated level. So I wouldn't suddenly be a different brand on a three million than I would on a forty. I think the only thing differently I would do on a forty is usually when you have properties at that price point, they don't necessarily always want an open house or they don't because they may have tremendous art in there and it's there's a liability there they definitely want events with fast cars Mm -hmm. you know sushi what have you Mm -hmm. so as far as some of the the details and some of the extra marketing like events otherwise no i am so grateful for all of them and i i want to do my best and put my best foot forward on all of them it's it's part of the brand and by the way luxury comes in a hundred different you know, shapes and colors. It could be the sports car, right? That's it, or the private plane uh, for the $40 million client. And it could be luxury sheets and towels for the $3 million buyer. Mm-hmm. It's all relative. Mm-hmm. So in keeping that in mind, it's about luxury. That's well said. Because again, that's another differentiator, I think, and a lesson for agents to learn because a lot of agents will treat those differently. Can't. They won't do the high-end photos or the video or whatever they're going to you know, they're gonna, that $3 million yeah. listing is really important to that $3 million seller. You've got to treat it as such. And I have a backwards, like, you know, don't tell your sellers this. And I, I kind of joke about this. I, I don't mean it that way, really. But but when agents say to me, like, I'm just doing this to appease the, the seller. You know, I'm doing an ad. But it's like, hey, you have a fiduciary to the seller, number one. But again, back to the fiduciary yourself. You're advertising and marketing a listing, yes, to, to try to sell it and expose it, right? Mm-hmm. But also, yes, to get more listings to sell. Your name is on it. Who's investing in you? That's right. You're spending a dollar. How much are going to you? Is going to you? I agree. It's crazy. But I could talk about this. This is again passion because you guys have a very complicated business. It's fraught with complexity, legalities, and 
you know personalities psychology and, and yep. this and that and yep. and marketing is is its own separate animal you know and we do this 24 7 it's hard to keep up and stay relevant and stay stay on it so this is a passion for us where we we love this and the i love it too i i love it too and, and when i was in college i had a dual major it was math and my minor was marketing advertising that's cool so what a combo. I, yeah i actually <laughs> i was the only model who modeled my way through math school <laughs> it worked so, Cindy, how do you stay relevant as this industry continues to shift and evolve? I think it's, uh, it goes back to my old career, you know, know your audience, right? So I think I just continue to pay attention to uh, our ever-changing, our evolving buyers and sellers. It's so different than it was five years ago. It's different than it was 10, 15 years ago. It keeps changing. And so you need to know your audience. Know how are they finding properties, they used to just call us up and say, hey, can you show me what you have? I can go out on Sunday and we'd pick them up and they would go where we took them on Sundays. Now at their fingertips, they can pull up every property for however far they want to search prices. They can find out the home that they want to see, how, what the buyer, I mean, pardon me, what the seller bought it for, what he's made on it, what he's put into it. I mean, our buyers today are so much more sophisticated. You have to be sure that you know more than they do. There's a very good chance they've done a lot more homework than even you have because you're busy do working with you know 10 different clients. They're just focusing on their needs. So I think what's really important in, um, in this market and how it's continuing to change is stay on top of technology, which is one of the reasons I made the move to Compass. Really stay on top of technology, the stats, what's happening in the market, what's projected to happen. How can you best advise your clients based on their needs? Because they're always different. People buy and sell for different reasons. So it's really staying in touch with technology, how, how the buyer and seller are finding out information, Find it out the same way, know it better. When we have a client, you'll appreciate this quote. He's got a, a placard on his desk. And I never forgot this. I love this, 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 this quote. He, he says, my only source of income is knowledge, my knowledge. I agree with that 100%. I love that. Isn't it great? Yeah. It's so true. In, in your profession and what we're doing, knowledge is, and it's becoming... It's everything. As the consumer's more empowered, the buyers and That's sellers, right. right? Yeah. It's getting harder and harder. So yeah, you have to stay as educated, as sharp. Just know your stuff. Yeah. Yep. And you know, buyers and sellers are way smarter than you think. So when I sit back and I watch some agents just do a little tap dance and smoke and mirrors and they think they can, you know, pitch it and the seller or the buyer, they're looking at them like, dude, I know you're not being straight. I know you don't know your stuff. It's embarrassing. And so my advice to anybody is exactly to that point. Know your stuff. And if you don't know it, Say, you know, I'm not sure about that. Let me look into that so I can get you the right answer. Those are trusting responses. And trust is how you earn a brand. 100%. If you could define what makes you successful in three words, what would they be? Trust is always number one. Accountability. Hardworking. All right, let's have some closing thoughts and have a little bit of fun. Even though we're having fun, we're having fun, right? <laughs> I'm this always having time? fun. All right, cool. <laughs> What two pieces of advice would you give your younger self? What younger self? What? Oh, two pieces of advice. As a younger self, I would say appreciate where you are in your life and just really take in that you have everything in front of you. You have everything to look forward to. You have so many stories yet to write just really embrace where you are and look ahead with excitement not fear if you could have one superpower what would that be 
if I could have one, uh, this one makes me emotional. I would cure cancer. That'd be my superpower. So what could you tell the audience that they would be surprised to know about you? I don't know that anyone would be surprised to know anything about me because I lay it all out there on Instagram. <laughs> People can go on my Instagram. Your authentic self. And they see my authentic self. They see where I'm from. They see my family. They see my office. They see my husband, my children inside my house. We've taken them on vacation with us. So Total transparency. I have, yeah, I don't know that there's much that they'd be surprised to know. This might be a bad question since you've been in the entertainment business for years and years. What's your favorite movie of all time? Somewhere in Time. Ooh. Jane Seymour, Christopher Reeves. Favorite book? Uh, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis. Cool. And do you have a favorite, like, um, a business leader or leaders that you aspire to, or, you know, you appreciate their knowledge or anyone you, like, follow or? I look in our industry more for people who have stood the test of time with me as either an agent, a broker, a manager, who always seems to be so level-headed. And I can always turn to and say, hey, what would you do in this situation? But is there a Tony Robbins or something like that? Is that what you're referring yeah, to? Sort of, no, yeah. no, no. Okay. no. Any favorite vacation spot? Oh, uh, Italy. So whether it's Rome or Capri. or That's where I want to go to Como. Italy so bad. Oh, I've never been. <gasps> what? Never been. I've never been You've... to Europe. What? I know. This is... You for, have to go to Italy. Because Italians to. are the warmest people. They're the most friendly people. The food's phenomenal. You can eat pasta morning, noon, and night and not gain weight. Because well, the That's food is so thing. pure there. Yeah. It's incredible. Oh, we go every year. It's our favorite place. So, I'm going to hook you up. All right, hook me up. When we go, <laughs> I'm going to say, Cindy, Cindy said, what's the, yeah. wh where do I go? Who do I'm, I talk I'm to? Gonna, I'm going to give you the Where's whole the itinerary. Pasta? I'm going to give you the Cindy special. <laughs> That's perfect. So is there anything else you want to tell our listening audience? You've been a, an awesome guest, and I think we've learned a lot. Anything else in closing? No, in closing, you know, I hope that when you buy or sell a home and, you know, you hire an agent, I hope it's a great experience. I hope it's a positive experience. I hope you know that it's a team effort and that you really feel protected and that you have somebody there looking out for you and hand-holding you the whole way through because it's a scary process. And I hope you really have somebody that you can trust and see you through to the finish line and make it a, make it a, a positive, fun experience. My closing thought on that closing thought would be real estate is so it's emotional. It's the biggest asset normally in people's lives that they're transacting. Yep. So huge financial emotion yes. and just the emotion of moving on or what have you. So choosing an agent shouldn't be done lightly. It should not be done lightly. And I'm a mom of six boys. I'm a little, uh, I'm a little protective by nature. So the uh, mama bear comes out, you know, <laughs> whether it would be with my children or definitely with my clients, I want them to know I'm here for them and I have their back. So there's your new branding moniker, Mama Bear. Mama Bear, I like it. You like that? I like it a lot. Yeah. All right. Who do we talk to? <laughs> On that note. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Warren. Best I appreciate luck. the time. We'll Thank talk you. again soon. I hope so. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you found some value. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review. And find us on iTunes and your favorite podcast provider. Until next time.